Prepare to hear the truth from a real whistleblower and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Friday. It's the 17th. It's been a big news day over here at The Kyle Serafin Show, and we are going to be joined by my buddy, Stephen Friend. Steve, welcome to the show for this Friday afternoon. Thank you very much. It's good to be out of District 1. For sure. You spent uh, some of the time today in the in the swamp dealing with uh, sort of the slime that exists there, and it uh, sounds like you picked up some of that swamp scum in your nose too, buddy. I did, man. That 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 flight to DC is is just those germs just swirled around every time. Yeah. Plus, it just you know it lands in a like scum pocket and it takes off. Um, it's kind of amazing. Phil and I spend a lot of time in DC, and uh, if you're not used to it, then your immune system can't handle it. You're you're used to too much freedom and uh, fresh air down there in Florida. Yeah, yeah. The the freedom is is definitely the the. the main key here i think uh I, I think the best view that i had of dc was on my way out as i told uh, john solomon yesterday that is the best view of dc when you're leaving it like rear view or uh underneath you on the wing of a plane yeah yes all right so we've got some fun access to you we're gonna talk about things that are mm, i think gonna be interesting to folks because you went to dc to be uh deposed by the new weaponization committee, subcommittee under the House Judiciary. Is that correct? Yes, yes. It was uh, called a transcribed interview, but essentially it's a deposition. Okay. Have you done a deposition before or just uh, regular court testimony? Uh, no, just regular court. So I was uh, I was ready for the full thing. I was waiting for them to start arguing in front of a judge, but uh, the lawyers managed to do all that same thing without an, a, uh, a referee. <laughs> no referee needed. Um, so what does the format look like? Explain to people kind of what the what the room looked like, maybe uh, you know, how you guys were arranged, and then um, you know, is it a is a adversarial or a contentious or is it uh you know collegiate or what? Yeah, it was definitely an experience. I, I was not expecting it to be exactly like that. It was a pretty large room. Uh I, I thought it was gonna be more like a regular conference room, but they had a big table sat next to my two lawyers on one side and then the Republican uh, staffers and a couple of congressmen actually would ask me questions for an hour. And uh, and then after an hour, we would take a five minute break and then the Democrats would take those seats directly in front of me. They keep swapping seats. And uh, and then they would ask questions. It was very important. They, they need to be directly in front of me to establish that, right. that eye contact. And uh, so they we just did needed that. to share. They needed to share a cushion that had the same beer farts as the people before them. I guess exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was like, man, I, I would not. I don't like sitting down on a you know public toilet just for that reason. I, I kind of like to have <laughs> my personal spot. But uh, apparently, you know, if you're in DC, you already caught the virus, so you're, it doesn't really matter where you sit. Um, and and they they so they rotated. So one hour on. Uh, Republicans, one hour Democrats, they did that twice. So both sides got two full hours with me. And then uh, they both had uh, about 10 more minutes at the end. So the, the total time on under fire was probably like two and a half or uh, four and a half hours. So Steve, all right. So we got this big room. We got people swapping seats. Let's get into the substance of the matter. What kind of questions uh, were you expecting? And then what sort of questions did you actually receive? And maybe from both sides too. Well, the Republicans were there for actual for the committee's purpose, the, the why it's why it's actually existing. So they were mm -hmm. asking me about the nature of my 
complaint that I brought forward and to go into the details of it. And then they actually got into what happened to my wife's Facebook account that they had seen. They asked about the Bureau's treatment of whistleblowers and how they, they said no to getting a new job and all that. So they were trying to portray me very favorably and then also yeah, do, get do me a favor expand the thing about the the no job bit so people can know because you had a kind of a moment that happened with that too right yeah well i've had two um so yeah you get walked out they give you the fd331 to seek outside employment i got offered a position at uh at center for renewing america i contacted the bureau filled out the paperwork and on that paperwork it says if you're going to work for a 501c3 you have to coordinate with the office of uh, integrity and compliance attorneys okay called that guy up he i told him the name of the organization and he he must have pulled it up on his computer because he was like i think you're going to have problems because the first thing that comes up on this website is to fund the fbi <laughs> listen it's a reasonable position and it's a first amendment position that we can advocate for even as fbi employees right yeah well you would think um uh, but i did the and, uh, i did that and i do <laughs> and submitted it and i told them look i need a decision forthwith because i i want to start with them as soon as possible obviously i'm unpaid for an extended period of time right and they took it and in one business day came back and said rejected well, um, you got to give them credit for doing that. That's the fastest decision the government's ever made. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and then I was also told that it was going to be a decision by uh, OIC and then Human Resources Division. But mm -hmm. the actual form, when it was given to my SAC, she they said executive management said no. So my SAC apparently cut the, put the kibosh on it before it even got to HRD. I used to always get the uh, executive management says this thing from uh, from my supervisor, and it was always a lie. It was always her just individual opinion. But um, or front office, actually, the front office says, like, yeah, the front office is unified. Really, the is, is the office talking to, to me right now? Why don't we just, just say so many, Bob's name? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so many euphemisms for just incompetence, right, on every level. All right. So they denied you the job. Uh, that didn't work well for you. Clearly, you weren't going to take that. And I'm glad you didn't. So you accepted the job. And then yeah. what was the advice that you had going in there based on accepting this job? Like, what were your attorneys advising? Uh, well, we decided that strategically it would make more sense for me to resign as an FBI agent before I went in and get that on the record when they do your initial, who are you? How do you spell your name? Who do you work for? So that I could just kind of nonchalantly say i'm a fellow for center for renewing america and then have them be what do you mean and Here's i could explain how i was mistreated what are, what are you the fellow of uh i believe i'm a senior fellow so Frank, i believe you're a senior fellow too uh, what what are you the senior <laughs> do they add you what senior fellowship you have yes uh, i'm advising on domestic intelligence and security that's fantastic it's good yeah. to know a fellow um, I'm not going to add senior to it because I'm senior to you in age and so is Phil, by the way. So we're going to just call you a fellow, but I think you're a jolly good fellow at that. And I'm very glad that that is the title you get to put on, uh, not just a fellow, but also an author. World famous author. <laughs> World famous. I, do you have, you have orders coming in from like Saudi Arabia right now or what? <laughs> well, definitely from Sputnik. Oh, that's true. Which yes, was yeah, brought up, mind you. In Okay, so carry on. Keep telling me more about this. So they're asking you questions. The Republicans are trying to get your story out. Yes. And, yes. and in theory, this could be a very easily bipartisan issue, I think, right? 
Yes. I, I, and even if you do not think my complaint is legitimate and you think that I'm either a crazy person or a politically partisan person, the best thing you could do would be to just disprove the veracity of my complaint and then dismiss it whole cloth, which is what the FBI right. should be doing uh, if they're actually doing a real investigation. But like the FBI, it appears the, the Democrat side of this committee is just going to invest all of its energy and resources into discrediting me, uh, not the actual nature of my allegation. So there's a uh, there's a concept and in, in when you're doing debate and there's a concept when you are doing a logical discussion or, or argument with someone that the minute that it devolves into ad hominems, which is to say attacking the man as opposed to attacking the message, when there's an ad hominem and that becomes the sole line of attack, that means you've already won. Do you feel like you already won going in there and and seeing that they, all they wanted to do is discredit you? Yes, yes. I, I well, and and I was utterly unimpressed by the the legal eagles that were sitting across the table from me. I, I deep down, I was kind of like, well, these guys represent congressmen. But I, I mean, I've been disappointed by doctors in the last few years and, and FBI agents, so I don't know why lawyers would be any different. That's uh, right. Uh, tell, they, me, tell me more about who you were facing down uh, in, with their steely eyes and their and their uh, ad hominem attacks. It was primarily one, uh, but they were lawyers who worked for uh, Jerry Nadler, and he's an impressive human being, right? He he has that waddle of of authority that really makes me scared when I see him. He's the closest human representation to um to the Penguin from Batman Returns. Yes, the, the Danny DeVito, Danny DeVito, yeah, who yes. has like the flipper hands. And I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen um, Nadler's hands. I don't mean to be an ad hominem attacker, but it's really, really hard to focus on what he's saying when you look at the fact that the man has to like have somebody put him into a high chair to be able to speak. Like he's so small. I didn't realize that either, but I saw him on the street with Fleckus, uh, and he like sort of like waddled into a, a car, and it was like. What a weird country we live in where this utterly unimpressive human being who has no sentient thoughts that matter on any level other than kind of just blathering partisanship. And uh, and then he sent his utterly unimpressive ad hominem attackers to uh, to come after you. Legal hench men and women, as it were. Men or yeah. women? Which one? Uh, it was all females that did the questioning. Interesting. Well, that's diversity for you. So uh, what other fun uh, questions can you recall that uh, would be interesting to... I'm not saying other whistleblowers may listen to this, but if they did, we couldn't stop them because this is America. And if they so chose to prepare themselves, what might they prepare for? Uh, I think they they must listen to the Kyle Serafin show. Well, I know they do because they brought you up in the deposition. Say uh, more about this. This is my new favorite topic. Continue. <laughs> so, you know, you are a part of the congressional <laughs> record, sir. Oh, that is so good. They, uh, they asked me how many appearances that I make and uh, how much compensation that I receive. <laughs> have you have you ever been compensated by the Kyle Serafin show? Our budget is pretty tight. I mean, in in your pearls of wisdom and, and tales about your training agent or just the payment I need. Uh, that's so good. How many appearances have you made on our show? Do you know? I estimated, I think it's probably somewhere like eight to 10, maybe. I, I don't I know. know. Producer Phil could probably pull that up. He could, but I bet you that's a safe estimate. Eight or 10 seems right. Um, yeah. People love hearing what you have to say. I love talking to you because you're my buddy. I was talking about you the other day to somebody and I said, Steve and I have actually never met in person, but I, I'm that's really hard for me to, to wrap my head around because I feel like we hang out all the time. Yes, yes. I mean, you're my work wife at this point, right? Correct. 
That's wonderful. <laughs> that's very embarrassing. And on every level, that's strange. Um, all right. So what other, they, they brought up the Kyle Serafin show. They wanted to know if you were compensated. That was kind of a theme. They wanted to know that you were profiting off your whistleblowing, correct? Yes. Yes. And and they, they were trying to hammer me much like the security division did on your permission to speak to the media, which mm-hmm. seemed to be news to them again, that mm-hmm. I had gained permission. Um, and then, yes, how much were you compensated by Kyle Serafin? How much were you compensated by Glenn Beck? And uh, what about those how much? Do you know anything about those T-shirts that we sell? Yes, that was brought up, sir. Uh, does, they, does anyone know where those T-shirts are? One, is the FBI holding those T-shirts? And two, uh, is anybody making money on this? Like, do we even know where the money goes? My mom got <laughs> hers. My mom got hers yesterday. Oh, good. Yes, yes. That's Which is wonderful. also part of the congressional record. They asked me about my knowledge about the T-shirts. And I said, I know my mom got one. Did you tell me you helped design it? Yes. I told them that, you know, between all of us, we have started a venture capital T-shirt production business that apparently takes four weeks to deliver one shirt. Yeah. And its profit margin is the low five, uh, four, sorry, the low three figures right now, I think. Phil, what did you tell me? We, we made like $138 off this and uh, it's just sitting in an account somewhere that nobody knows about. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sitting out there in cyberspace, you know, not collecting interest and uh, not really growing <laughs> much because people are afraid to order shirts that take- We invest in egg futures with that? Yeah. We're going to buy some egg futures. That's an excellent point. Um this administration has made them the strangest things become commodities. Probably also uh, vintage textbooks about science would be really useful, like biology textbooks from 10 years ago. Probably a, a, a vastly growing market that uh, the homeschool crowd is going to want access to. So Absolutely. they don't have this weird biology lesson about uh, whether or not you need a penis to be a male. Newsflash. <laughs> Unless it got cut off in a weird way. You do. Um, so Yo, your buddy, your buddy, Dan Bongino, might be a little upset with the Democrat attorneys. They didn't know his name. And they were Why not familiar with Bongino's him. name. They, they were like Dan, Ban, Ban, Bon. They couldn't say it. And I, I mean, I think it's, yeah, that's, that's the goat right there. I, I like to imagine that Dan is Italian, but I actually realized I've never asked him like what his, what his, uh, ethnic heritage is. It has kind of an Italian-y sound to it. Um, and he has kind of that, uh, that, that olive skin. I'll tell you a funny story that has nothing to do with any of this, but, uh, my wife and I went to Cancun for one of my friend's weddings, which was obnoxious because we actually sold our car and then went and used all the money from the car sale to go on this stupid, uh, wedding. He's a wonderful human being. He's like one of my best friends, but still, I was like a little frustrated. They cost me and it was a cheap car. That's why it was, it was like two grand to go there, uh, many years ago. So we go to his wedding, we're walking around. My wife is Italian and just gets this deep, deep olive tan. She doesn't really burn, which is, I'm kind of jealous of that in a weird way. And she would always tell me how she had darker skin than me, but uh, now she's a mom. So she's always indoors, like dealing with babies and she doesn't have time. So she doesn't get this deep olive tan. Also, it's there's snow on the ground outside of my little trailer here. So, um, so these people come up and they go, oh, you're such a lovely tan or whatever. And my wife, who was, uh, let's say like two or three margaritas into the day, because uh, it was an all, all-inclusive resort in Cancun. She walks past me and she elbows me and she goes, Psst, they don't know that I'm not all white. I was like, what? And she was like, I'm Italian. And I was like, is that a thing? And then uh, we had a really interesting moment where uh, discussing that Italians historically in this country were not considered quote unquote white people um, until very recently. That's like a 50 year old concept, if not uh, younger. And so anyway, I always get a kick out of Dan. Dan has the same kind of complexion as my wife. So I imagine that he's Italian, uh, but Italian names are kind of American names, kind of like pizza and spaghetti. I don't get it. Why can they not pronounce Dan's name? That seems really rude. 
I mean, I just don't think that they uh, are in the habit of watching or listening to his world famous podcast. Well, that's why they don't know the truth about America, right? Correct. They're correct. They're trying to be immune from the facts. Listen, I'm just saying, I've listened to the Dan Bongino show just a couple times and I know his intro, his intro brings it. And uh, just saying, that's a shame that these people don't want to know the facts. They live in Washington. They don't want it. So any, any hits that they scored that you feel like maybe they, they got some uh, chalk on their side of the, the wind column or no? I really don't think so. I, I felt pretty much in control the whole time. You know, it's one of these situations where I was like, look, they could be the world's greatest interrogator or lawyer, but if you have the facts on your side, then there's not a whole lot they can do with it. And isn't that the they, truth? They tried to hit me with uh, you know, the the January sixth uh, folks. You know, the, the being a sympathizer with uh, you know a, a three percenter or a proud boy or an oath keeper or something like that. They they tried to mm-hmm. hint at that. Um, but you know, like I told my lawyers going in, uh, the whole gist of my complaint was always the the process problems with it. Like, look, if if we violate people's rights, it doesn't matter what they do, and and actually, it's worse because you might let somebody who should be in jail out or lose on appeal because you didn't follow the process. And uh, there was a point there where they kind of described one of the uh, one of the guys who was on the arrest operation that I I didn't. Pre- participate in that's brought about mm-hmm. my entire suspension and they're like what do you think of this guy is his, his get up and i just at that point said he looks like a really bad guy he he should probably go to jail for the bad things he did to be really ashamed to lose on appeal because we violated his civil rights <laughs> right and they were like all right we're moving on to the next topic yeah, that's called, uh, I just said the thing that everybody would say about this because law enforcement officers tend to defend law enforcement officers when the officers are in the right. And when they're not in the right, then we care about the process. So I did a, a podcast just a couple of days ago and people can see that it's called the government has no interest in the outcome. And and that's essentially what you're saying. Uh, I don't know if you were in the space, space with uh, Bill Shipley the other day, um, shipwreck crew, but yep. his statement, which I thought was profound, is that the FBI and the, and the DOJ do not have an interest in the outcome of criminal prosecutions. At least they're not they're not supposed to. Their job is to be pure of process and let the justice system, which is also the other half, the adversarial half, which is the defense and, and also the jury, they're supposed to make their own decisions. Um, we're weighing in on the scales in a weird way. And I think you just said it perfectly. It's like, it doesn't matter. We just go get the facts. We don't get paid anymore. Did you ever get like a, a bonus for getting a conviction? No, 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 no bonuses for convictions. Uh, and uh, the only bonuses I got were you know, recently for for working child pornography, <laughs> which they took me off of to work, of course, J six cases, which uh, Congressman Gates was was wise to bring up and discuss with me. So we he was there, uh, and as was Dan Bishop. So it, I was I was pretty happy with that because Congress was on recess this week, so those guys were enough away from involved home. in in this select committee that they came back early to participate in this. Uh, deposition with me, which I, th- I thought you know, bodes well for you know how serious they are taking it. That's good. I I uh, I'm glad that they had actual members of Congress coming in to ask you questions. That shows a certain amount of respect for the information that you brought. So uh, that's helpful. You um, do, do you think that there was a a reason why you were a transcribed interview, a deposition type, as opposed to being in front of the cameras the way our, our friend uh, FBI Miami Barbie was out there and. Uh, you know, did, did you, and by chance, did you cry when you mentioned any of the cases you worked on? No, I didn't cry. Um, mm. uh, but I did brief them up on the, uh, the, the operation that went badly in Miami for the, the child pornography, uh, raid where they had the two agents get killed. 
Yeah. Tell so me they, what you know about that. Cause I, I know a little bit about it as well from my friends there. Yeah. The, uh, the guy who was actually supervising at the time uh, I had, uh, I crossed paths with him on a, uh, a joint sort of operation that he did up in my area and, you know, offline kind of had a discussion with him and he, he filled me in on some of the details of it. And he basically he was supposed to be in charge that day, but he had had the night before a hands-on offense that he got involved with uh, investigating and the mm -hmm. victim of that tested positive for COVID. So he was not allowed to come to the operation the next day. So they were sort of without uh, their regular supervisor. And mm -hmm. then uh, it was kind of this hodgepodge of, of agents that, that got brought in. He said, look, they're, they're all good people, but it wasn't our, our regular routine. And then they made the mistake of sort of negotiating at the door with this guy, as opposed to, to being more you know, kinetic in their action. Uh, and they were and negotiating then, in front of a window. Yes. And, and, and then the, the one part, I don't know if you heard this about the local law enforcement. Well, they claim to be local law enforcement, but they're wearing FBI placards and he had cameras showing who they were. No, no, there what they had local PD there on the perimeter. And okay. I guess he, so he told me that they've gone back and watched the body camera and the officers are saying to each other, that's the FBI's fight. We're not getting involved in that and stayed back when there was shooting. Yes. Oh, that's ugly. So the other thing that's really gross too, and this is the saddest thing for me because I worked um, SOG, as you know, and so did Phil and SOG is good for the things that it's good for. Um, the, the surveillance units are very good at knowing when people go places, especially when they develop a pattern. And this guy had a pattern of leaving his house. So folks, I'm, I'm, I'm digging deep into this thing just for a moment, but um, he had a pattern of leaving his house around 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. What well, doesn't matter what it was. It was some regular time in the morning and he walked to work. He went on foot and they could have easily grabbed him when he came out. But instead, the FBI insisted on this sort of procedural stupidity that we do, which is that every search warrant has to be served at uh, 0600 by banging on a door and then either trying to talk people out or banging the door down with a ram. Um, but really, there's a place for being a little bit more intelligent about it. And I think that was kind of one of the arguments that you made, that you're supposed to use the right arrest tool for the right subject. And sometimes that's a summons and sometimes it's a, you know, a, a knock and talk. And sometimes it's a, you know, break the door down at 6am. And sometimes it's a, a surveillance to interdiction where you grab somebody in the open. Yeah. And, and I'm, and there's no need to use an elephant gun to kill a mouse. That's, that's what I, I keep saying to, to media. And, and I, I, I might've used that actually in the, in the deposition, but as far as just being, having to do a deposition first, being as charitable as I can to that consideration, I think that uh, that Nicole Parker wasn't going to be offering a lot of concrete information, so maybe she wasn't going to be hammered so much by the minority, and they kind of okay. wanted to flesh out what the material I was prepared to bring to the table and see. And they don't know me; they don't know if I'm going to be one of these guys that you know gets up and starts screaming and flips the table over and how I'm going to react to anything adversarial. So right. maybe there's a little bit of preparation. Uh, but I'm hoping that, you know, what Garrett told them, what George told them, what I told them, that they see, like, we have the goods here. It's not just appeal to emotion with tears and talk about the good old days. Uh, and, and No, that's that's really the piece, too. It has nothing to do with emotion. It has nothing to do with politics, at least not for me. Um, I actually just uh, tweeted out a piece by a guy. That, do you know who Trevor Aronson is? Are you familiar with him? It sounds familiar. You have to... So he wrote a book called The Terror Factory that actually Phil recommended to me um, yes. early on. And He's a lefty, though. He's a lefty mm -hmm. and he's got problems with the FBI too, as you should when the FBI does things, which is like manufacturing terrorism cases. And I don't care if they're going after people. Um, I don't agree with the BLM uh, premises. And yet I think you would agree that if BLM people are doing violence, then they should be stopped. And if they are just protesting, they should be allowed to protest. That's what you and I swore to do to protect that right.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so anyway, he wrote a he wrote a, a big paper about how um, Antifa and BLM were basically infiltrated by FBI in, in Denver. Um, it's in my Twitter feed if people want to go find it. But uh, and he has a new podcast. It's a ten part series called The Alphabet Boys, talking about paying this like violent felon to infiltrate as a CHS into BLM stuff in Denver. It's totally bizarre, but it, it's not a partisan issue. The FBI yeah. sucks. <laughs> like they, they, they infringe on people's rights. Yes, yeah. it's, it's right down the middle. I would think. And, and this has to come out in the actual televised hearings. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason it's probably more important that it comes out for these hearings as opposed to January 6th hearings is that was a complete appeal to emotion. The people that were uh, emotionally invested in the January 6th committee hearings, those are the people that were watching it every day for hours and hours and hours. There was the, like 11 of them nationwide, <laughs> I think. It was the entire CNN uh, viewing Come on, audience, it was at least a dozen. Slightly, it was slightly smaller than the Kyle Serafin <laughs> show audience. Uh, but I think I think people have a limited bandwidth for keeping up. They don't want to watch this thing for two years. But if you bring something like you've been bringing out on Twitter and you see how people get fired up and now how you know you you got a bleeder on your your little pocket knife slash at the Godzilla. Uh, you love that. Ago. I love that too. It's such a good, it's such a good visual. Uh, and and they, we can do that and we can do that with witnesses and people will then, you know, they don't, they don't have to tune in for hours and watch, you know, them go back and forth and virtue signal and try to get campaign ads for YouTube. Uh, but the information can get pushed out in a more digestible format. And then that'll get the the voters and the public at large fired up. And I think ultimately uh, it's building an arsenal for next, for this fall where there's going to be this budget negotiation where they can say, well, look, uh, FBI, your budget is cut uh, significantly and you can't use these funds for X, Y, and Z. Domestic Mm -hmm. intelligence probably being X, Y, and Z. It should be for sure. Um, Did your experience being interviewed there for this this transcribed interview, did that give you more or less hope in in what the committee's doing? Uh, Jury's out, but I was very encouraged (laughs) by having uh having gates and bishop there because you know obviously they, they didn't have to be they could have sent yep. staff and and it wasn't just they were there for moral support to shake my hand or you know get a picture or something like that like they had questions prepared ahead of time they'd done their homework um he, he, he hoping... asked you something about rhetoric do you mind uh kind of relating <laughs> that i remember you telling me about gates saying that and it sounded funny it's, it's probably he, a good story for people he's yeah he's an attorney so he uh we were talking about my uh, sec- security division interview and how uh, Wiley accused me of inciting violence with my column uh, about the. So, p- folks, if you haven't heard this interview, go back and listen to the Sec D experience. Isn't that what we called it, Phil? Or do we call it something else? Yeah, I we, think it we was thought about calling it something like Sec My D, I think, which is terrible. But um, but I think we called it the Sec D experience. So anyway, go listen to that if you want to hear what Steve had when he was interrogated by the Bureau and how he got the best of some of these clowns that uh, apparently English is a second or third language. Um, yeah. All right. So that's that's the reference that we're talking about, which he either heard the Kyle Serafin show or how do you think he knew uh, about this? No, I, I was talking about how the Bureau is sort of weaponized against whistleblowers and how I'd gone to the security division interview and it was absurd. And I said, look, I wrote a column. I didn't get paid for it, Democrats. Uh, and in this column, there was a quote that said, this is a rhetorical call to arms for my fellow civil servants. Mm. And Sec D said that I was inciting violence by using the phrase call to arms. And... Uh, Congressman Gates looked at me deadpan and said, were you calling for violence? And I said, no, that's why I use the word rhetorical. And he responded, 
because rhetorical means words, right? And I said, yes, sir, it does. And we just moved on to the next topic. Did he laugh at all? <laughs> yeah, he laughed at that. Uh, and, and they laughed at the, uh, the fact that I had a TSSEI clearance to go into a skiff uh, and turn the alarm off. That came up too. So yes. you just repeated the SecD experience, but you did it with um, ad hominem attacks from different people this time. I did it with the benefit of having had an after action review on the Kyle Serafin show where I could snark it up <laughs> even more. That's so true. It's so good. Um, so that's fun. Uh, what other things would you expose about or would you like you know people to know about the experience? And then we'll move on to how you've been living well with a private chef for the last like 48 hours or something. Yeah, man. It was, it was like dinosaur eggs. Like you said, dinosaur eggs, uh, omelet. Um, Did you, you need I, an entourage if you're going to have dinosaur egg. Like, what was that? That was a Chappelle show, wasn't it? Right? He's like, I'm the Tyrannosaurus egg. I'm going to eat. I'm gonna, it's so violent. You can only, it's, it's been fossilized. And then he had that like horrible T-Rex omelet or whatever. That's so silly. Uh, so okay, sorry, good. We're getting sidetracked here. You, uh, yeah, wrap up with whatever. Yeah, I, I was able. I was very happy uh, able to introduce the the last column that I wrote uh, that that information about the uh, the IPM, the Integrated Program Management, the Field Office Strategic Planning, and the Threat Review Prioritization (TRP). This is what you call moneyballing crime, correct? Moneyball and Minority Report combined. Yeah, and uh, explain to those guys just in real surface level how. You know, they set these ridiculous metrics. And, and these are things that George Hill talked about in a prior episode with you. Yeah. And uh and and how then it kind of interferes even with the the tempo of, of our work, even if it's righteous work, and how you know we gotta delay indicting a subject because we need those numbers in the next fiscal year. So wait a couple months. And mm -hmm. when I said that, I thought their their heads were gonna explode. So uh that that's a really important uh thing that I think that this committee needs to look into. I think a lot of problems are downstream from that. And it's obviously tied to the SES compensation and uh and you know, having to generate all these Intel products, uh, a certain quantity of them, which is how we get to the radical traditional Catholics being pushed out, maybe one of the motivating factors. Uh, the thermal exhaust port. Yep. Yep. So brought that forward and uh, and then did quick, quickly departed and flew back to Florida because I had to speak at a uh, an engagement last night with the uh, yeah. Palm Beach Republican Club uh, with uh, one of my fellow colleagues from Center for Renewing America. Another fellow. No, uh, Jeff, it's Jeff Clark. He's in more of an executive role. Mm. He was the uh, uh, he was former Department of Justice. Uh, was actually in line to take over as acting Attorney General when Bill Barr resigned. And uh, and as he was explaining last night, you know he's he's kind of gotten the Roger Stone treatment and uh, for having looked at some election malfeasance that happened in 2020 and, you know, walked outside in his underwear for a search warrant, which OIG executed. Uh, oh, good. I, yeah. He said they were 1811s. He said they were armed and they brought, uh, they brought local PD with them because they wanted the body cam footage of him in his underwear outside of his house. Well, that's thoughtful. Yep. I'm going to start sleeping in no underwear then. That's going to be my move. With a holster though, right? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> we're not, we're not getting ridiculous with a leg rig. Um, Totally ridiculous. <laughs> so um, I want to, I want to point out something that I think, I think you'll agree with, but I don't know for a fact. And so we're going to just kind of dive into this for a second. The FBI suspended you indefinitely without pay. They suspended me indefinitely without pay. They did so without any regard to whatever we brought to the table in the investigative sphere. Um, you know, they didn't size up the opponent and say, these are people that we're willing to crush. They just said, these people are conscientious objectors to fill in the blank policy. So we're going to crush them. 
do you think that they had any idea that we were going to get involved in what we're doing right now and come after them the way that we have? Not a chance. There's no way. And then they, they did not anticipate that shelving us would actually unleash us. Um, I think that they're just really used to using this security clearance process and then they just mm -hmm. lean on people. And and I don't think we're unique within the Bureau. I think we're probably more uh, unique within the general public on being people that are sort of judgment-proof financially, uh, where mm -hmm. we didn't have, we weren't beholden to, to having to, to leave immediately. Um, and then and just being unafraid to, to, to speak back and say, look, you know, step to me, man, that's, you know, that's just not going to be a problem for me. That should be the standard, but it's not. Um, I'm going to, I want to dig into that even a little bit further. Cause I think there's something really interesting about that. And, uh, and I agree with you, by the way, I think it's the thing I told you the first day that we spoke the first day that you, uh, the day after you went public and uh, your name was sort of released on Tucker and Miranda divine and all that. And I just said, uh, you know, pick the door and I'll go through it with you. And, and I still feel that way, which is a nice thing to feel after a couple of months of this uh, sort of protracted information war. Did you feel like you had a strong mastery of the FOST, of the uh, the integrated threat management program, of any of these metric-based sort of things before you left the FBI as a suspendee? No, no. I, I sat through the process uh, as an acting boss one time, and mm -hmm. I keep saying it, it was like being on Cancun for spring break when you have like three years of high school Spanish. I understood like every eighth word, um, but I was able to develop a greater understanding because of the network that we have um, and right. reaching out to people that are still on the inside who have been doing it for years and know the problems of it. And they schooled me up and schooled me up in a way that I could then school up the congressman. So we're talking what second, third grade level. Right. Well, the thing that I'm getting at about this in particular is that they, like you said, they did, they thought they were, they were putting us out to pasture. And what they did is they just unleash us to do the thing that we do, which is go find problems, identify them, and then articulate them in a way that is uh, legally responsible. And moreover is going to be something that is potentially prosecutable. And so in this case, they gave you license to go learn about something that you would have never been interested in if you had a million years in the bureau. And yet on the outside of it, it's like, well, it's one of the reasons it's broken. So you became at least a functional explainer, if not an expert on it, to be able to, to relay that message. Do you, like, how ironic is that? <laughs> what, what do you think about the, the, the fact that we would have never done this without that? Exactly. I mean, and, and think about where you were. All you wanted to do was investigate Indian reservation crimes. Like Tell they people just forgotten people about want to you. do that. Like how many people want to do Indian reservations? I was doing child pornography. Like just leave me alone. That's all I ever wanted. And instead it was, no, you must, you know, you must wear the ribbon. You Like the Seinfeld show. It's the Seinfeld. Yeah. Why won't you wear the ribbon, yep. Steve? Why won't you yep. wear it? One of us. I mean, that was my SAC. You know, she just couldn't comprehend the fact that in her 24 years, nobody had ever uh you know raised their hand and said are we the bad guys here no no self-reflection whatsoever no. um i'm gonna i'm gonna go on that phil do you have uh the the twitter page is that uh pinned just a thumbs up on that one uh, yeah do you mind yeah. pulling up do you mind pulling up the tweet that i had uh that showed the uh the frou-frou whatever the heck that thing was it's got uh so this was about two hours ago it looks like it was the the um production what is the heck of this thing? It's called the Production Services Unit. This is the unit chief who is a headquarters position responsible for intelligence products. We we re revealed an intelligence product last week, uh, which you're familiar with, Steve. And uh, this individual 
created a like kind of like a pro tip. It's the tip of the week, the tip of the week at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's in this cutesy font, right? Phil, if you can throw that sucker up. It says, always consider all available sourcing relevant to the intelligence question and rigorously examine its quality and credibility. Dude, I you're thinking I was going to go do the voice, weren't you? Yes. Hold on. Let me, let me finish. Describe sourcing to the readers so they can understand the evidentiary base of the products assessment. So um, I upgraded some of my capabilities, folks, as you can see and hear, and uh, it's not for the better. It's just for my own amusement, and mostly it makes Steve laugh. So um, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of questions. Elmo is the best. Yeah, it's what is it called? Uh, effeminate Alvin. Alvin. Yeah, the chipmunk. Correct. So uh, I'll read some of these questions that are in here. We tweeted these out. So if you want to go to the Twitter page and actually see what the FBI publishes on this like stationary style document, it's all pinks and and script and things like that. It's got a little owl saying, I used to be indecisive, but now not so. Okay, so let's read some more of these. Um, by the way, I don't know if this is a male or a female that runs this uh, unit, but based on the effeminate and feminine, um, you know, whatever it is, like letterhead, I'm going to just uh, do the the voice that it irritates me because this is how it sounds in my head. So this is how it sounds in my head. I hope it's offensive to people at the FBI who were dumb enough to unleash Kyle and Steve on themselves. And now they have to deal with like basically two, uh, like I said, guys with pocket knives fighting Godzilla or more likely like uh, Wolverine, little Wolverines just like snarling at a giant animal and just like ripping at their ankles. So here we go. Um, I'm going to read the questions that you should consider when you're writing a First Amendment violating document about uh, whether or not Catholics are actually white supremacists. Is it consistent with, or does it conflict with other evidence? Is it circular reporting? What's circular reporting? Is that reporting that reports to itself? Is it a single outlier from your other information? Is it sourced by the the Southern Poverty Law Center? Is it? Uh, Is it recent? Is it relevant? Is the source access direct, or is it just a grifting organization that just tries to raise money based on being a fake hate group? Uh, has the source been evaluated, or is it the Southern Poverty Law Center in the Atlantic? I'm ad living. And what is the bias of the source? What is my bias? Am I biased? Do I hate Catholics for some reason, even though I went to a Jesuit school? Am I that guy? And is there an intent to influence the U.S. government? Am I trying to influence the U.S. government? Do I think I am the U.S. government? What types of denial or deception may be at work? Anyway, um. So that's ridiculous, but that's what I, that's what this person sent out and, um, didn't sign it by name. I don't know if that's a normal thing now, but CA Parsons, pretty weak stuff there from the analysis production and intelligence management branch and the director of intelligence in the intelligence production section. That is the production services unit chief. We have so many dumb names in the FBI, as you found out when you went to the Office of the Integrity and Compliance to find out whether or not you could get a job, which had nothing to do with any of those things, as far as I could tell. And um, well done. So, sorry. How are, how are you feeling about being a fellow, being you, you resigned from the FBI, and being a guy who is no longer shackled and is now literally paid to go and disrupt FBI malfeasance? How does that feel? It felt good. It, it was something that I pointed out last night in my remarks. I was like, you know, it, it reminds me of uh, Romans 8.28. All things work for the glory of God and those called according to his purpose. Uh, I uh, was being investigated by the investigators at the FBI. And uh, because of all these circumstances, I am now investigating the investigators who are investigating me as I aid in the uh, in this select committee and hopefully bring about some real reform. So it felt good to uh, to 
to, to get that out and, um, and not have that, that pressure, you know, leaning on me, like, you know, even my attorneys were like, well, you, at this point, you can't even put anything past the FBI. What's to stop them from just showing up at your house with a search warrant for some contrived criminal violation. Yes. Um, I will note that the inspection division upon learning of my resignation within a few hours, sent me an email, uh, inviting me to still voluntarily come in and do an interview with them. Are you thinking about doing that for sport or no? Uh, no, no. I, I told them no. Um, but uh, I'm also still waiting on my my training records. And I heard back today sure. from the FBI that uh, even though I filled out the paperwork to authorize the release of my training records to me, that I need to have my attorneys authorized so that they can release it to my attorneys. Since I'm represented by an attorney, they have to 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 go through it that way. I had the same so, thing from the equal opportunity people. They told me that even though I wrote them in writing that you can send this and I CC'd my attorney, please respond with the information. They said, um, no, we can't do that because you need to fill out our dumb form and you have to print it and then sign it and then scan it and then send it back to us. And I just said, just send it to me. I'll send it to him. Like, I don't need you, you clowns. They, yeah. They're... Um, they are people who work a job so that the job can exist, not because the job needs to be done. Self-looking ice cream cone. That's I mean, it. it. I mean, there's so they, many, there's so many analogies, but yep. Yeah. I told my attorney that at some point along the way, there were people who sat down and were like, Hey, we need to develop a process. And this is what they came up with. And they left that room thinking like, okay, that'll work. Yeah. Well, as Phil has accurately stated, I think that, uh, a GS-15 in the FBI, but probably in the government, uh, mostly, mostly the government at large. A GS-15 in the federal government is someone who's never said no to a bad idea. And you don't get higher than that uh, with uh, with the no. You've got to be the yes guy. you got to be a can-do, let's get this done, um, unless it has to do with the civil liberties of the employees below you, in which case we cannot do that. We don't need to do it. Um, we're going to be running a little short on time right now. How are we doing for uh, for overall? we got about, yeah, we got enough time on here. Folks, um, I'm going to plunk a couple things. I'm going to try some fun things because I, I I got this board and my brother offered us this this sound. He said, I made this music, but it's not good enough for me, but I think it's wonderful. So I'm going to put this in the background and um, we're going to we're going to do a little wrap up here at the end of our game and we'll uh, we'll kind of plug some of these things. First of all, I'm going to have you plug your book a little bit, Steve, and let people know, and we'll put it in the show notes so you can click right through and pre-order Steve's book, but tell us a little bit what it is, what they can expect, and where to find it. Yeah, right now you can find it on Amazon. It's called True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to FBI Whistleblower. And uh, you know, I, I I was able to finish it in about uh, a month of work, but then I thought about it and realized I'd been researching it for 37 years, uh, so I think I deserve that. <laughs> And uh, it just sort of uh, gives an accounting of uh, my 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 life leading up to uh, the FBI and some of the good work that goes on in the FBI, and then uh, the the not so good things that I've experienced uh, since uh, last summer. Wonderful. And where can people find it? You said uh, Amazon right now. Uh, you know, if you go to Simon and Schuster, uh, you know, it'll just link back to the Amazon. So you can just skip that step and go there. Um, maybe maybe I'll have a, a website direct for myself here in, in the near future. All right, spell out your uh, your handles where people can follow you, and then where are we going to see you next? Uh, well, Twitter at real Steve Friend at tr on Truth at real underscore Steve Friend. Drinking. Uh, I'm going to yeah, man. We got to keep the security division questioning where where to find my material. Uh, but the, the the big ones that I have coming up uh, next week on Tuesday evening, I will be appearing on Sean Hannity on Fox News. 
have you told him that your Chiron needs to say um, at real Steve friend, fellow and author? Does it say that former FBI agent and whistleblower? Can you get a paragraph in there? You think on the, on the Hannity show? It, well, I needed a small font, senior fellow, senior fellow, senior fellow. Sorry. Yeah. SR fellow is fine. That's easy to fit. Um, well, I look forward to seeing that. Um, well, so we'll look for Sean Hannity. Is it going to be broadcasting on uh, Monday, you think? Is that the uh, Tuesday night? Sean's off on Monday. They bumped me one day, but uh, it'll be live. So I'm going to have to do the Kyle Serafin move and go to the actual uh, studio here as opposed to doing it off my laptop. Yeah, super weird. Looking straight at the camera, maybe not seeing anything, maybe just hearing Sean in your ear. Um, imagine those lapel pins. That's what you're thinking about right there as you sit there in the chair. And uh, fantastic. Phil, do you want to uh, give us a little readout of where people can find uh, what we got going on. You said you had a, a nice donation that you wanted to give credit to, and then also our, our five-star reviews, which we're still looking for, folks. Five-star reviews. Phil's going to read those things out for me. Yeah, I sure do. We've got a nice comment here on the Give, Send, Go from Doug Keg. Doug wrote, May God bless you and yours. Thank you for courage and your patriotism. Quote, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. Also great five-star review that came in recently from someone named S. Bloodworth. A little wonky, but awesome. Heard your last bit on Dan's show this week. Appreciate what you are doing, exposing what we assumed all along. Godspeed, fellow patriot. And of course, we'll have a link to Steve's book, True Blue, in the description. That's right. Below. All right, I'm going to read one more thing here because I'm I'm staying with my folks. And my dad said, if you're going to be staying in my house, you might as well be uh, pushing things that uh, benefit me too. So I'm going to tell you folks about a book my, my father, Charlie Serafin, wrote. It's uh, also going to be in the links. It's called One Stupid Mistake, and it is Smart Decision Making in a Crazy World, written by Charlie Serafin, the guy who raised me. Um, one of my favorite human beings in the world, still someone I go to for advice every day. This is his thoughts on how you can avoid making bad decisions from a lifetime of interesting decisions on his own, both good and bad. He's a father of six people um, that are an interesting mix of leftists and then people like me who are just constitutional extremists. Um, I think that uh, if you want to read something interesting, it's a very easy read. I've actually read it on an airplane uh, on just a single flight. And then I, I literally gave it to the woman that sat next to me because she was fascinated by it. So once again, one stupid mistake. You can find that on the uh, on the Amazon. And uh, he wrote another book on there, which is sitting on my side. We'll talk about that another time. Steve, thanks for joining me, buddy. I really appreciate the update and all the intel. And uh We'll do it again after your Hannity experience. We'll see how it feels to be in the big time. Yeah, man. I'll have to follow your example from Tucker. <laughs> That's it. We're just going to full court press these people. Uh, folks, you've been listening to the Kyle Serafin Show. Uh, we do appreciate all of your, your five-star reviews. If you do want to give us a like, if you want to throw some comments in there, I read them. I go check them. If there's a question in there, I generally answer them. If it's full crazy, then uh, I let Phil answer them. That's just the way that it's got to be. I can't handle full crazy. I got enough crazy going on right now. We do really appreciate you listening to us. All the downloads are a big deal to us. And uh, once again, as you uh, as you like it, share it with your friends. We will come back to you on Monday with an interesting long-form interview. So stay tuned on Monday morning. I'm going to be bringing in a big discussion of the Second Amendment, and we'll be talking about sanctuary laws and their failures in Oregon. And we're going to be talking to an attorney who works on behalf of you through the Gun Owners of America and Firearms Policy Coalition. So don't miss Monday's show. Again, thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.